Chapter 22, Part 2, 2-2. Fill the pipeline. Sales is a numbers game, to some degree at least. If you have 100% closing ratio and only call on one person in your career, if you close everybody you meet in your career and only call on one person, I'll promise you, nobody will say you're the greatest. You just had a high closing ratio and didn't call enough people. You got to fill the pipeline. Sales is a numbers game to some degree. If you have a 100% closing ratio and only call on a few people, you're done. There is no career for you. You can only be as successful as your ability to keep your pipeline full. Keeping the pipeline full at all times is vital. It is the thing. It's like, how can I make this thing big, thick, chunky? Right? Most, most salespeople only measure who they recently sold, but should value and measure all activities that continue to fill the pipeline up. If I say, hey, man, you had a good week? Oh, yeah, man, I sold these two, or I sold three, or I got a couple. Hey, man, what about what's in the pipeline? Value that. Talk about it. Sold, unsold, lost to customers, lost other orders, gained orders, not ready to buy until the next quarter, referrals, second sales. See, these are things that can fill a pipeline. Ads you got going out, billboards you got going out, Twitter ads or whatever, man, fill the pipeline. One of the most common mistakes I see from salespeople and sales organizations is they celebrate a sale and forget to fill up their pipeline. So they have the up and down. I sold somebody. What's the problem with that? I lost my best prospect and forget to fill him up, replace him. One of the negatives of selling a client is you lose that client. And then have to start the cycle again with a new client. This is what I mean about keeping the pipeline full. It takes a lot of work to sell someone and immediately replace that person with someone else. I talk a lot, uh, I talk a lot about this in the 10X rule and also in the, if you're not first or last, about how to keep that pipeline loaded. About the fact that people underestimate the amount of energy and effort necessary to create success and then maintain success. Conquering something is one thing. Keeping it an entirely different thing. Conquering the mountain, it's one thing. Holding that fort and keeping it as your own is something else. In sales, you want a full pipeline of possibilities so you aren't dependent. You go get a sale and I'll look up, oh my, there's a vacuum. See, that's conquering the mountain, the fort, and then not being able to keep it because now you got to go chase something else. You want to keep a full pipeline of possibilities so you're not dependent on that one sale and then go home and say, oh, we made a sale, we made a bunch of money, pipeline's empty, and we can't really celebrate. Salespeople without full pipelines become desperate and easily shakable. A guy who works with me called and was complaining about a prospect, my boy Brock. Man, this guy canceled on me. I said, hey, dude, you know, the reason you're, the reason you're an itch bay right now, that's Piglet. The reason you're complaining right now, Brock, is not because that guy canceled. It's because you don't have a full pipeline. You're not upset because he canceled. You're upset because you failed to keep your pipeline full. Fill your pipeline. Learn to fill your pipeline. Overrun, overrunneth your cup. Fill the pipeline and never think. Never think, never believe, or never let anyone else believe there's enough in your pipeline. The only people that don't want more are the people that don't have enough and find out when it's way too late. Closing the deal. One of the great topics that we get here in Miami at my offices is, man, how do I close the deal? Look, negotiating and closing a transaction can be a trouble spot for you. 
I believe this to be the case, mostly because closing is not selling. And in fact, I'm tempted not to even talk about it in this book because I don't want you to confuse the two. These two things are so different that the only reason we talk about them in the same, at least here in the same book, in this case, the same audio program, in the same download, is because you want data on it. But the truth is, closing would be like me talking about elephants at the zoo, and then we, and then we start talking about uh, chimpanzees in uh, in Africa. I mean, they got nothing to do with each other. Closing has been taught as though it is a sales technique, but in reality, closing is a different technology that takes over as part of an extension of selling. And in actuality, is a completely different technology and art, if you will. Selling is identifying needs, selecting the right product, and then demonstrating how your product or service solves that problem. Closing, on the other hand, is getting the buyer to take action and agree to exchange something they have, a signature or money, or some value for what it is you offer. That is, they become closed on your offer and solution and want to give you something for that. I've met many, many tens of thousands of professional salespeople who have been good. I mean, excellent, way better than me. Thinking about a guy right now. Unbelievable at building relationships and getting report. A guy was like golden. He could meet anybody anywhere and immediately have that person liking them. He was good at people, excited about people, could even get people like talking, move into the product, move into the service, how good we, he was good at follow-up. He's just a likable guy. And he couldn't close, dude, this guy couldn't close a screen door with, with, uh, with uh, well-oiled hinges. Great salespeople know that all it takes to be great at selling is to take the time to become pros at negotiating and closing so they can take advantage of the investment made in the selling process prior to the closing transaction. Look, you got to know how to finish a guy up, okay? I'm going to say that to you again. Great salespeople know that all it takes to be great at selling is really to become a professional at negotiating and closing. Keep a full pipeline, get people landed on the right product or service, sell it, build value, but you want to get great, you got to know how to finish a guy up. you got to know how to negotiate and close so that your customer can take it full advantage of the investment or the offer that you're making in the selling process. Just because someone can wrestle. I mean, this is how different selling and closing are. Just because you can wrestle doesn't mean you could fight in the UFC. Yeah, they're similar, right? Closing is an art. Anyone can learn it, but understand that it is a completely different thing than selling. Check out Closer Survival Guide book and audio. That audio program called Closer Survival Guide has 125 closes in it where I go over close, what's the customer going to say, what do we transition to. The single most productive decision I made in selling in my life was to master negotiating and closing. I bet you I've spent tens of thousands, tens of thousands of hours legitimately practicing, drilling, rehearsing, handling full negotiations, whether it was a $100 product, a $10,000 product, $100,000 product, or I'm in a $32 million transaction this morning, and I'm actually role-playing how I'm going to strategize the reduction of the price that I'm paying for this property. I've created numerous tools that can help you 
that can help you and your company with negotiating and closing. You could check out Close the Sale app. I think our, our app um, people have downloaded 500% increase on our app downloads in just the last month. Close the Sale app, 900%. Excuse me, 900%. CloseTheSaleApp.com. You could also check out Closer Survival book and Closer Survival audio program. Another effective closing tool, educational tool, if you, if you really want to make your people brilliant, is a virtual technology, a virtual training site, whereby in video, you can have me deliver in real time from your phone, your iPad, or your computer, how I would close a customer and over an objection that you might get from your customer. Unreturned calls. Calls not returned. In my career, more salespeople have not returned my calls than have ever taken my calls. I was in my sales office yesterday, and I was asking the guy, how y'all doing? Man, I can't get people to call me back. Yeah, so what? What, what should I say? What message should I leave? Dude, tell, tell them that the, the, the world's coming to an end. Call me. Tell them, tell them, uh, tell them I have a million dollars for you. Call me. Tell them uh, that if you don't call me back, I'm going to ship it to you anyway. Dude, I don't care what you leave them, what message you leave them. Tell them that you're the next coming of Jesus. And that you've actually returned. I, whatever, bro. There is no magic. Okay? So, like, you got to know that. You got to go into this game saying, look, they're not calling me back. I mean, here's the deal. If you're going to call somebody back 15 times over the next 15 months, just do a little test right now. You're going to call a guy back 15 times over the next 15 months. What's the solution? He's not going to call you back anytime. Dude, the solution is to call him 15 times over the next 15 days. Don't wait 15 months. Calls not returned mean nothing. You need to understand that when people do not call you back, it means, it does not mean that they're not interested. It doesn't mean they're not interested in you. It doesn't mean they're not interested in your product. This morning, I wake up and I text this woman, Jill Eber, here in Miami Beach. Hey, I'm ready to look at uh, 15 Star Island. I want to look at uh, Damon, uh, Matt Damon's uh, uh, property that's on the market. And I want to look at, uh, I think it's called 92 uh, Lagorse. By the time you hear this, you'll know whether I closed on these deals or not. Look, this chick hadn't heard from me in two and a half months. Okay, two and a half months ago, I wanted to look at 15 Star Island, which is a teardown facing downtown Miami. I said, I was interested. I wanted to look two and a half months ago. Then, then she says, when? I said, no, I went to Tampa. I blew off to Tampa. I was in Tampa two months. She's asking me where I'm at. Two and a half months later, I text her. I'm ready to look now. Okay. She, retur- she called me. She emailed me and she texted me in those two and a half months and I didn't return her phone call. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean I'm a flake. It doesn't mean that I got a problem. Dude, you know what? I lost interest in the product. For that period of time, I doesn't mean I lost interest in Jill, the Miami real estate market, Star Island. It doesn't mean any of that. doesn't mean anything. So what do I want you to get out of this? Calls not returned means nothing. Okay? Now, it could mean something, but I want you to understand it doesn't mean anything. Maybe they didn't get your message. Perhaps they got overwhelmed. Perhaps I went on a mission. I changed my mind from buying a house to going to Tampa and doing something more important for me at that moment. Or maybe they just don't feel a sense of manners. Maybe they just have no manners. Maybe they're unprofessional. 
Maybe they don't know the protocol. Oh, maybe they didn't agree to call you back every time you called them. Look, I personally make it an effort to respond to all calls. I don't do it perfectly. In fact, I thought I'd text her back and said, look, I'm going to be in Tampa for a couple months. But she's not my mama. I don't need to tell her what, what I'm doing every time. I personally made an effort. I personally make an effort to respond to all people's calls. No matter, no regardless of my interest, the call or the caller, I just think it's the right thing to do to call people back. I don't care they're fans, uh, freaks. You know, I, I don't want, I, I'm at least going to call them back. I'm going to text them. I'm going to email them. I try to handle all my comments on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter, but I can't get to them all. Sometimes I miss stuff. And if I can't get to the call, then I'll have my assistant respond, requesting either more information or informing that I'm not interested this time. I try to be professional, but look, it happens. I just think, I just think it's important for me to keep the flow going, even though when somebody reached me and I'm not interested to flow back to them and say, hey, not right now. Because if I stop communicating either way, I think it's going to stop things for me. I'm worried about it stopping my flows, you know, you know, making things not happen. Now, just because I do that doesn't mean other people have to. And it doesn't mean just because I have a commitment to doing it that I'm going to be perfect at doing it. But just because I call people back does not mean my partner in Orlando is going to call every person back. It doesn't mean the guy I'm trying to sell is going to call me back. And it doesn't mean that they're not interested. And you can't take it personal. I always, always leave a message when I call someone. I know people that don't leave messages. I'm like, dude, the reason you don't leave a message is because you take it personal. You have taken it personal so long for so many people not calling you back that you're like, ah, I ain't, I ain't even leave a message this time because I don't, I don't want them not calling me back because they'll know who I call. Dude, don't, why, why are you doing that? Leave a message always. Always, always, always leave a message. Leave a message. The only reason you would not leave a message is because you think you're either wasting their time, your time, or, oh, I'm not going to leave a message so I can call back and talk to them later because you're taking it personal. When someone doesn't call you back, don't try to calculate what it means. It, or if you're going to calculate what it means, it means what? Nothing. Let it mean nothing. Call client. Leave message. No return, no return phone call equals nothing. You don't know what it means in truth when a client does not call you back. But what it should mean to you is either it means nothing. And I just need to make more calls, make more contacts, email, personal visits, stop by and see if they're all right. Dude, I called you the other day. You didn't call me back. Want to be sure everything's cool. I was in the neighborhood. See, get creative about how you're going to follow up. Never bring up the unreturned phone calls. Like I just did, by the way. I wouldn't bring them up. Hey, man, I've been calling you back, man. You don't call me back, man. Come on, man. What's up? If you do bring it up, hey, man, I was just worried about you. Everything all right? You cool? Okay. Maybe you didn't get my call. Could that have happened? Could I have called them and they didn't even get it? I had a guy call me the other day. Man, I've been calling you and you don't call me back. I'm like, bro, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, I've been emailing you too, man. I don't even know what you're talking about. Why you want to start the call like this? Don't start the call making me wrong. How do you know? How do you know I even got it? Never bring up the unreturned calls or the unreturned emails and never make the client wrong for not calling you back. Never, never, ever make them wrong for that. It's not his or her job, responsibility, or moral agreement to call you back. They have no agreement. There's been no agreement. I must call you back because you called me back. It's not your job to do the follow-up. 
We've got to clean that up. It's your job to do the follow-up. It's your job to be more creative. It's your job to persist in new and varying forms. It's not their job to call you back. Vary the types of communication. Vary the messages. Keep it creative. Keep it fluid. Use every form of communication possible. If emails aren't working, try postage. If postage didn't work, and try personal visit. If that's not working, hey, man, get, get, get your friends to follow them or their company on Facebook or Twitter. Dude, whatever, man. Like, when you commit, you'll get creative. Creativity follows commitment. If none of these work, put them on a help list. Put, put your customer on a help list. Put, put your customer, hey, I need, help with, uh, I need help with ABC right now. I'm trying to sell ABC a television show right now. Who do you know at ABC that might be able to help me? Who do you know that might know somebody at ABC? Who do you know that's ever worked at ABC? Come on, somebody you know knows somebody at ABC. See, use a help list, okay? And maybe somebody that you know can help you with somebody at that company. Sometimes it's just a matter of getting to the right person at the right time. Be, be creative. Remember, quitting can't be an option. Making them wrong cannot be an option. Take responsibility. Keep it up here. Make sure you know what's going to happen. Nothing, again, remember, nothing, nothing is happening to you. It's happening because of you. Fear. You know, the great thing about fear, it's just not real. That's the greatest thing about fear. It's just a boogeyman. Never in the closet. I know that when you're experiencing fear, it might feel real. It might feel real at that moment. Every salesperson experiences fear, but it's actually, it's actually not existent in the physical universe. It's not there. When you really look at it, this unseen and tangible factor called fear does not, well, does not motivate most people, but it should. It should actually push you. It should motivate you. It should drive you. I'm going to actually have you shift this and say, oh man, if I'm scared, I'm doing new things. I'm going to see new clients. I'm in new territory, new waters. You know, a boat, a boat sits in the harbor. I mean, it might look good in the harbor, but it wasn't built to stay in that harbor. Sooner or later, it's got to go out to deep water. Fear can immobilize and does immobilize millions of people every day from taking the actions they need to take. Pretty powerful stuff, fear is, and it's not even real. With sales, fear will kill, will, will kill. If it immobilizes you, will kill your ability to keep your pipeline full. It'll kill your ability to ask for the sale. It'll kill your ability to go out and meet people. There's nothing like an unshakable winning flurry of action to absolutely extinguish, extinguish this monster called fear. I, don't, I know nothing better than will get rid of fear better than me staying extremely busy and a great sense of humor. I use fear every day as my inspiration, as an indicator of the things that I need to start doing that I have to confront. Catch my phrase, I use fear. I use it. It's not the other way around. It's not using me. Fear, although not a real thing, doesn't seem to be a real thing. I've never been able to eat it, drink it, quantify it. My success is that I use it to move. I use fear to move. Oh, I'm scared to call this guy. Then call him. I'm, I'm scared to call this girl. Oh, that's the one to call. I'm scared I can't make a TV show. Then that's the thing I have to do. I'm scared to go into real estate. Oh, then I must do it. See, the things you're scared to do, you need to go, like, get in the neighborhood. Get in the zip code of fear. A man once told me, man, I'm not scared of anything. I said, dude, you need to be. Because if you're not scared of anything, you're doing the same things over and over and over again. And that is not success. That's the same thing. That's this level. 
My success is that I use fear to move forward. In fact, to move toward exactly the thing I am most afraid of. This is an, this is a, an exercise that, that you can do. Ask yourself, hey, wh- what am I scared of? Can I face these fears? The more you practice moving in the direction of that which you fear, the more that will become a habit. Like a green light means go. Fear should mean go. Until it becomes a second nature to move to the fear. That's where your growth's at. Oh, man, I'm just not made up for sales. I'm scared. Okay, so so my four-year-old's scared, okay? She believes in witches. I'm like, baby, you got a witch back there, huh? Wow, wow, that's a, that's a trip, dog. What's the witch look like? And she's just, she's doing this to scare herself, right? I don't know why she's doing it. I know this. She better move toward her fear. She better, she better go over there and squash the witch or she's not going to get what she wants in her life. And even if somebody gives her everything she wanted, she'll end up losing it because she's scared. You could even start your day by asking, who do I fear calling today? What do I fear doing the most today? And then do it. The answer should give you the direction. What you're scared of, what you're most scared of, what you don't want to do is typically the thing you most need to do. Sounds simple, but it's hard. Taking action on those things you fear is how you build courage. Courage is an exercise in action. It's not a trait. It's not a characteristic. Oh, he's really a courageous person. Dude, that's an action. That's not a trait. It's not a characteristic. It's not a personality type. People aren't courageous. People are and operate with courage. They do scary things. Everyone has the ability to be courageous. Everyone, even a scared person, everyone has the ability to be courageous. But you have to take action. Do this and you will get to a point where you start looking around for more and more things to do that you fear. Because, hey, look, doing them is actually a lot of fun. And there's payoff in both the confidence and the success. It doesn't really matter how scared I am of it. Oh, man, I'm scared to get a new phone, man. If I get a new phone, I might have to learn a bunch of stuff, you know. I mean, fear can come in little tiny amounts or it could be big, big, ferocious amounts. You know, when I turned 45, I was 45 years old, actually. My wife, who now, who was my fiance at the time, actually, I was, I'd finally, after 13 months, got her to go out with me. And then, yeah, yeah, she slept with me, yeah. And then, and then, and then I'm, t- I'm talking to her, I said, how, how about us hooking it up? You know, we, re- we spend the rest of our life together. And I convinced her to, 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 to marry me. She thought it'd be a surprise by taking me skydiving when, on my 45th birthday. She, she's like, okay, I'm picking you up today. A year before that, she wouldn't even go out with me. Now she's taking, you know, she's spending thousands of dollars to take me skydiving. But she won't tell me she's going to take me out on this trip. And, and um, she had already at that time jumped three times. And she thought this was a big deal. She jumped three different times in her life. and. She's trying to scare me. She, she's so excited because she's, she is certain that I'm going to freak. Okay? She's waiting for me to freak out in the plane. We're putting on the uniform. I'm not freaking out. We get there, I don't freak out. I'm like, yeah, let's, let's jump. I never jumped before. I don't know why. It just didn't scare me. We're in the plane. I didn't get scared. You know, I, I didn't know the first thing about jumping. She wanted me to be scared. She wanted to see me terrified. Was I scared? I mean, I guess I was scared, but it wasn't the thing I was sc- most scared of. And I kept telling myself, you know what? Dude, you can get overwhelmed if you want. 
But if this shoot, shoot don't open, I mean, I, I'm, we're up in the plane. We're up at 10,000, 12,000 feet. And I'm thinking, I'm, I tell myself, you want to get scared? You can get scared, but it's not going to open the shoot. Shoot's going to open or it's not going to open. Fear will not make this landing any softer. You're going to bounce, dog. You're going to bounce. You won't even know it. Was I scared? Sure. I had some level of fear, I'm sure. But getting overwhelmed won't open my chute. I just kept telling myself. You know, the hardest part of me jumping out of that plane was actually watching her jump. She jumped with a guy on her back. I'm like, damn, what's he doing on her back? But just kidding, but maybe. Uh, the hardest part of that whole trip was watching her jump and realizing I couldn't help her. That's what scared me the most. Look, being scared is not going to open your chute, folks. Being scared is not going to make you successful. Being scared is going to keep you immobilized. Do the things you're scared of. Overcome them. Build confidence. Build courage. I, I remember, again, being on that plane. I looked over and saw my, my beautiful, confident fiancé, my wife. Fiancé. Fiancé. Is that what they're called? Fiancé. My wife. Uh, who was about to be my wife. By the side, looking at me, she's waiting for me to show this fear. She's so disappointed that I'm not scared but I refused to give it to her. I gave her this look that I suggested, I ain't scared of nothing. Even though I was, I was a little scared, you know? She reached over to see me if my heart was pounding. She's like, let me feel your heart. She was so disappointed that I wasn't freaked out. And again, she didn't know it, but when I really got freaked was when she jumped and I couldn't help her. Help her, help her. I really got it, man, how important it is when I was watching her jump the, that it is for people to overcome their fear. To know, hey, man, everything's going to be all right at the end of the day, but I got to go for it. Now, rather than you getting up in a plane and jumping out of a plane, you don't have to do that. Now, I see people go do these zip contests and they go do all these things. That, man, just call somebody. Call somebody you're scared of. Get in front of a customer. I refuse in my life to be paralyzed by fear. I was telling the guy in my office this morning, dude, I got this much time left in my life. I refuse to not be who I am and not do what I want to do and not go for it. I refuse to. I refuse to be a slave. I refuse to be a slave of fear. I refuse to be immobilized. I refuse to let fear master me. These are some great uh, affirmations. I refuse instead to be immobilized, but instead I'm going to use fear to take action. I'm going to roll out of the plane. I'm going to jump. I'm going to call the customer. I'm going to go meet that person. See, it was the decision to use fear that allows me Finally, it was the decision I made to say, hey, I'm going to use fear in my life that's allowed me to start operating with more courage in my life. I'm not any different than you. Not to mention the fact that my girl jumped. Hey, man, what am I going to do now? I can't, I can't put, I can't like stay in the plane. I got to jump, right? So now you got to. Sometimes when you take time out of it, do it. You don't have a chance. You don't have a choice. And that's a great uh, possibility with fear. Take time out. The fear won't get as big. Fear in your sales career and in your life should be an indicator and a motivator of what you need to do and must do and just do it as quickly as possible. Overcoming the fear is just, overcoming your fear is just an exercise in doing the things that will allow you to increase confidence in yourself and take your career to the next level. Handling fear is merely a decision. Like you got to decide, dude, I'm going to be the master of fear. So start building up this habit of identifying what you fear doing who you fear calling and attacking those areas. Make those first little actions. I assure you, you will quickly build confidence that is so critical for your sales business, your sales profession, 
for your personal confidence in yourself. Like constantly working at a gym. Look, it's hard to go to the gym the first two or three or four nights. It gets easier and easier as you go. And you'll finally feel yourself building muscle, looking different, being different, acting different. The same thing with fear. Bust fear. Be the master, not the slave. Handling people's emotions. Look, when you're faced with a prospect or a client who gets emotional and demonstrates an emotional outburst with you, know that you're getting close to making a deal. Never take a person's emotions personally. Do not react to them and never become emotional as a response. Look, remember, when you're getting the other person emotional, when they're becoming emotional, you're getting close. Do not quit now. You must know that when people get highly emotional, typically they're getting closer and closer and more and more interested in actually consummating or making a deal, a transaction. The key is to stay rational, calm, collected when other people are freaking out. Somebody, somebody had got to stay calm and persist no matter what is thrown in your way. Emotions are one of those overrated things, kind of like fear. Dude. They're, 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 fear is just, oh my God, I can't believe you asked me to do that. This is ridiculous. I cannot believe that. Blah. Like, stay cool. A guy gets angry because your proposal is double his budget. I told you I could only afford. Why is he getting upset with you? Now, really, I mean, if you take a step and look back, is he upset with you? Or is he upset with himself? Man, I can only, the guy tells you, I can only, I can only, I only want to spend $45,000 on a, on a, on a, on a, on a watch or a house or the rent, whatever it is, right? And you show him 65000 for any of those three items. He's a person trying to buy a house for 45000 a watch for 45000 or rent for 45000 They're all different. And anytime in the, this person's life, he could be trying to buy those three items, rent one, buy one, or a watch, right? A house, a watch, a rent, or own, whatever, right? And, and you're like, these are crazy, man. What are you talking about? A guy renting a house for 45000 Okay, so he's going to buy the house for 45000 First house he's ever bought, or he's an investor, he's trying to buy, steal a house for $45,000, or bring him to Star Island, he's trying to rent for $45,000, or one of these condos over here. Same guy goes to buy a watch for $45,000 in all three cases, says, I told you my budget was only, is he mad at you or mad at himself? <laughs> Come on, I don't know what it is. I told you. Why is he getting all emotional? Why isn't he staying calm and cool? I'm going to tell you something. The guy that stays rational, hey, man, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. That guy's harder to handle than the emotional. You need that guy to get emotional in many cases. Stay calm, stay cool, stay rational, and know that the outburst will pass once this client comes back to their senses of what they want. Every person wants to make the best decision possible. So when you get him to face up that making the decision to buy your product, Know that you might be stirring up his fears and insecurities and you might be hitting up against his own responsibility levels like, yeah, man, why, why am I not in a position yet to buy this? 
So he gets upset and says to me, I told you not to show me. Is he upset with me or upset with himself because he's not in a position to do this? I'm just trying to show him the right product for him. See, I got to stay calm and cool. Just because he shares his outburst with you and even directs it at you doesn't mean he or she is actually upset with you. Outbursts, outbursts are usually not at all personal. I mean, even though when they're directed at you, they're just something that every person goes through. I mean, it's just like tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. I got to go through 15 seconds, tick-tock, tick-tock, and then I got to go through 30. Oh, my God. You know, you live with people like this. Why wouldn't you want to sell people like this? You sleep with somebody that gets emotional like this. What do you do? Do you really react to every emotion that your spouse or kids have? Every one of them? You'd go insane. Same thing with a customer, man. Just be cool. Be calm. Stay rational. I understand, man. I'm with you. I know. I know. I know you told me not to show you. I apologize. It was wrong. I'm bad. My bad. I should never do. I'll never damn do that again until the next time. See? See what I'm doing? Stay rational. You're right, man. You're right. You told me not to show you a watch more than 35. I showed you 45. I went crazy. I lost my mind. It was stupid. My bad. And watch him fall in love. You can't stop the pursuit of closing the sale every time someone gets upset. Just because they're upset doesn't mean it's about you. You must consistently and persistently help them because you are like their expert guide along this tumulus river or this mountain, this hiking adventure or through this jungle and it's dangerous and you're going through it and they're going through all their little emotions. You would, of course, not stop guiding them through the most dramatic rapids just because you hit some white water and everyone started to freak out. Dude, they went on the ride to freak out, right? Why would a guy go out and look at a house to buy one as an investment? Or there's risk, man. There's risk in everything, and he knows that. So he's going to get emotional. You, you, you would benefit if you would just keep everybody calm, including yourself, knowing that the white water will not last forever. And sooner or later, you'll be on the other th side. Everything's going to be calm. We're going to go camp out tonight. We're going we're gonna to burn some marshmallows. Likewise, you want to be the guide. You want to guide the prospect through the sales process, through the dramatic, tough, emotional waters, negotiating into the calm, happy state of them getting what they want, owning their product. It's your duty to help your prospect in this way. Don't get emotional when they do. Do not get emotional when they do. Practice, drill, and rehearse staying calm when others start freaking. Practice, drill, and rehearse. Be a leader. This is a skill that can be developed but takes drilling. The biggest problem for most salespeople is they experience someone getting highly emotional and they're thrown back into some unresolved issue of their past when others were being emotional with them. Oh, my papa used to beat me with a belt. Daddy was a drunk and he used to get so noisy at night. And he'd get upset. Dude, you're not with daddy. Okay? You're a professional salesperson. Customer got freaked out. You do not need a psychiatrist. No medications necessary. Just be calm. You don't need to go back and relive your childhood. That's not the problem here. Practice being calm. Drill it over and over again. Yeah, I'm with you. I understand. I know that. Until, hey, it's not your papa with his belt that had too many drinks. 
25 years ago. It's now the customer in front of you. See, you're not, you're not practicing. You practiced your poppy so many times is not the problem. It's that you haven't practiced a customer in front of you more times that is the problem. Stay calm, be cool, learn how to stay calm and learn how to stay cool. You know, cool don't come to everybody like it does to me. I know some of you got to practice that more than me. Robert over here, he got cool. I mean, he was born with cool. Stay calm, right? Be cool and learn, practice it. Learn how to stay rational when your customers and prospects get emotional. Handling the negative connotations of sales, salespeople, and the sales profession. The only reason that the subject of sales or salespeople has ever carried a negative connotation is because of the inept, unprofessional salespeople who never took the time to become true professionals who took the time to master the craft. That's the only reason salespeople have a bad rap is because of all these salespeople that never learn how to sell. This lack of self-esteem about the career sales comes from a lack of understanding about how vital salespeople are to the economy and how different, how much difference there is between a professional and a real salesperson. I'm sorry, a professional and an amateur salesperson. A true professional is impervious. Wow, that's a big word. Impervious to negativity because he knows, dude, they're not talking about me. They're talking about the rest of these wankers out here. The true professional is impervious to negative connotations. He is a pro. She is a pro. She, uh, he, he or she operates at levels far beyond the charlatan, the actor, the part-time, the amateur. The professional knows that to sales is to serve. And he or she believes so, so strongly in their product, their service, their company. I met with a guy yesterday. He's representing the uh, Ritz-Carlton uh, residence in Miami. He's been doing this for 25 years, putting up condo buildings and selling them out. He's like, man, Grant, I don't sell, I serve. I'm like, bro. Brother, brother George, I said, selling's not a bad word to me. And he's like, thank you. But Grant, I believe in my product and my company and me so much. I'm like, bro, you've been reading out of my books, bro. Come on, man. The professional knows that to sell is to serve. And he or she believes so strongly in their product, their service, their company, themselves, that the motives that drive that individual are not just about getting a commission. It's about really, truly taking care of somebody. I mean, these people are, these people are completely sold on their product. They're drinking the Kool-Aid, swimming in it, using it themselves. A true professional salesperson is motivated by helping others. A true professional salesperson in any field is motivated by that help, is actually admired by all who he, he or she helps, who or she works with, who they come in contact with, and they're often celebrated by their customers and colleagues alike. You'll see them getting patted on the back. Thanks for selling me that, Robert, man. You really did a good job selling me that. See, they're celebrated. If you feel yourself stigmied, stymied by the negative connotation of being in sales, Look, you need to reconnect to the purpose of what you're doing, the importance of selling as a career, and the development of sales to the entire economy. And you probably need to find some new friends and some new people to hang with. 
Come hang out with me for a week. I guarantee you won't feel about feel bad about selling when it's done. Reread the introduction of chapter one of this book to enlighten your sense of purpose. I personally feel that selling is one of the most noble professions there are because when done correctly and with the right intentions, okay, with the right motivation, it engenders a very independent, self-reliant, strong, helpful, extroverted individual even though they were initially possibly introverted, and indeed a person that can operate at higher levels and help in many different ways. A true professional salesperson is able to step into any circumstance, make friends anywhere, help others, calm chaos, and get people to take action. Great salespeople are leaders. They're leaders, man. I mean, the great, the great presidents, they're, they're, they're salespeople. They sold people on ideas. Steve Jobs sold people on ideas. Jesus Christ sold people on ideas. Great salespeople are leaders. They're people who make sense of situations, the big picture, and inspire others to follow with resources and with actions. Think of, per- of a person. Think of some, anyone in your life who has really helped you in your life, really, really positively affected you, and made you feel good about yourself. Dude, that's a salesperson. Write down the five qualities that that, that, that person had that made you feel good about you? What, what were those qualities? Now, write about how each of those qualities would make you a better salesperson. So pick somebody in your life that made you feel better about you. Write down the five qualities that they had that made you feel better about you. Always there, followed up, always talked to me, always said a nice positive thing about me. Dude, every one of those qualities, dude or do S's, all those qualities will make you a better salesperson. In my life, I have met some unbelievably exceptional salespeople. I have never, ever, I mean, when they're great, every time I get stopped by them. I'm like, I get enamored by them. Their, their, their persistence, their positive attitudes, the skills to listening, the genuine interest, the willingness to accept responsibility, the positiveness, the desire to learn, take interests to be interesting as well. So many of these things are so attractive attributes, they become inspirational to me. And I think to you. I talked about Gavin, for instance, earlier. I mentioned as a real pro, an exceptional, a master of his trade. He's always professionally dressed, always positive, always patient, always persistent, always listens. He understands. He shows empathy. The guy duplicates my communication extremely well, extremely well. I mean, he knows exactly what I want, duplicates it, tells me this thing might do that. Hey, Grant, you're going to be the one that makes the decision. You always make the right decision. Inspires me, makes me believe I can do the right thing. Helps me make sense of it. Knows how to use humor. Tremendously determined. Always there for me. Follows up in between sales cycles. Focused on his mission. Makes it clear that he's on a mission. See, I love these qualities. I could take the qualities that Gavin has and start saying, hey, which one of those would make me a better salesperson? We're different people. See, we're different, but I can use those qualities. And Gavin, you know, I don't look at Gavin with some negative connotation. I see him as a value to me, as a friend. Because of these differences, because of these qualities he has, he could actually pressure me without me feeling bad about it. He's a pro. Become a pro in sales. And people will not have a negative connotation about you. They'll have respect and admiration. No one, no one has a negative connotation about a professional salesperson. It is the amateur who everyone resents in this field. 
not having the right response. Grant, I don't know what to say when they say X. Look, in sales, it's good to know what to say. Let's face it, a salesperson's number one tool is his ability to communicate. This is the same reason people are so concerned about public speaking. Oh, what am I going to say? If you knew exactly what you were going to say, exactly what they would say, exactly when they would laugh, exactly what they would ask you, then you'd know exactly what to say. Look, no one wants to stammer. No one wants to hem and haul, freeze up, and not knowing what to say or not do during a presentation is going to cause you to have some sense of anxiety. Communication, the ability, and the ability to know the right thing to say at the right time is a definite point that counts to your overall professionalism and your success. These days, your customer can be just as informed as you are, sometimes even more so. And that customer expects you to know what you're talking about. Also, your client is likely to have many choices, many, many choices, including, dude, I don't even need to do this. You know, when economies tighten up, the only people you're dealing with are people that have money and people that have money are like, I don't even need this. Most of the stuff they're buying, they don't need. Also, your client is likely to have many choices that they can compare to their offer, not just another house if they're looking at your house, but also, you know, we're going to buy a plane instead. You don't know. Your customer might be going there and saying, I'm not going to buy both of them. You see, you understand what I'm saying? As well as your customer has these financial concerns, more than likely, that you'll have to handle in your value proposition. There'll be times when you don't have an answer to your client's question. That's okay. Hold your answer is the key or how you answer is the key. How you answer is always going to be the key, even when you don't know. If you don't know something, you could say, you know what? I never tell somebody I don't know. In fact, I always know. In this case, I don't. It's a great question. Let me get that information for you. And you could drop all that and just say, great question. Let me get that for you. I'll write it down. I'll have it to you within the next 15. Which one's more effective? I don't know. Or great question. See, how you're going to say things is important. You might think there's not much difference, but I assure you they're completely different. I don't know is different than great question. Let me get the answer to you. The other acknowledges the communication and shows your willingness to serve. Hey, great question. I'll get that for you. Being in a position to know how to respond to anything requires that you continue to brush up constantly on your communication skills and maintain a positive attitude. And and you still got to know your product knowledge. Selling has similar requirements to public speaking. If you don't know what to say, it won't go well. You know, if you read the book and listen to this audio program, when you read the book, you're going to be like, dude, he's not, even, he's not even on the book. Where's he at in the book? Because I know the book. I know the information in the book. So I can drift and get you a lot more content, many more examples in the audio program because I know the material. Look, selling has very, very similar requirements to public speaking. If you don't know what to say, it's not going to go well. Know your presentation, work it out. Know it so well that it's like... Di- you know, genetically part of you so that you can handle any situation. Also, be prepared for every possible question. If you don't know what they are, write them down every time you engage with somebody. Every objection, if you don't know what they are, write them down every time you engage with somebody. Every stall, if you don't know what they are, write them down every time you engage with someone. Every obstacle, if you don't know what they are, write them down every time you experience them. Every delay and every question the customer can possibly ask you you probably already heard them if you've been doing this more than three weeks. Every time I hear something new from a client I've never heard before and was not prepared for, I write it down. And then in my private time, I prepare a number of responses that I could use. I debrief every sales experience still today. 
Remember, you're in a business where communication is your weapon. You can't help anyone if you can't effectively communicate with them. You're in a business where communication is the weapon. You understand? Know how to use this weapon. This requires that you are prepared. It's ready. The weapon's ready. It's sharp. It's concise. It's tight. And it's sensible. And it's logical. And it's non-emotional. And it feathers your cause. And it makes you and your product and your company look professional. I'll never forget a kid who came to my door one day. Door-to-door sales in my neighborhood. I was living back in Los Angeles. Very difficult neighborhood to cold call because the houses are separated. He's got to come up to this big wooden door on the outside. The door goes to a big long hallway up some steps, and then he gets to my front door. Well, he had to buzz outside, and there's a camera. I'll never forget this kid. The kid was so good that I had to let him through the front door. I had to let him through the, the, the wooden door to my front door to tell him I wasn't interested in my front door. He was good when I couldn't see him. He was good when I was in front of him. Here I am busy with calls. I got prospects. I'm at a home office, front door buzzer rings. I'm frustrated. I stop what I'm doing. I answer the phone. It's a cold call. He's pitching household cleaners. Crazy. How how tough a gig is that? I got special admiration for anyone who can sell door to door. And I got a super serious admiration for anybody that can communicate the way this kid did. I don't, I think it cost me 400 opening the door on some cleaner. I never used. I just couldn't shut the door on man. Look, I don't have time for you, dude. I said, and he says, I understand boss. Give me 60 seconds to show you what I can do for you. As he's telling me this, he drops to his knees, immediately drops to his knees. He knows he's going to run out of time with me. He drops to his knees, looks up at me, starts cleaning stains on the stone of the steps as I look down 20 steps. He looks at me and says, I'm out here every day getting doors slammed in my face, just hoping that if I work hard enough one day, I can live in a place like this. I'm like, dude, how much? Next thing you know. I'm giving him 200 for his product, $200 for a product I had no interest in and gave him another 200 just because I admired him. He had me at boss and a smile when I tried to shut the door in his face, but he closed me because he was prepared. He was ready. He knew how to communicate. He knew how to look me in the eyes. He knew how to get his presentation in in a very short period of time, how to demonstrate his product and then shut me down. He knew how to take advantage of a moment. Be prepared. Know how to communicate. Practice your skills so you can always have a response for every situation. Overwhelmed by a customer's objections. Objections can take place in lots of different places for a salesperson, and they will happen at different places for you. When you're trying to get appointments with the decision maker, While presenting your product, you could get it. In the negotiations, you could get objections. In the close, you could get them. You could get them from the gatekeeper, the customer, a decision maker, a non-decision maker. You can get them from a third party that just wants to drop input. Look, there's no substitute for being a ninja, assassin, closing machine. You need to be ready to handle any and all objections. Literally, you need to drill, drill, and drill on your downtime. Read, 
listen, learn, and drill. Drill it over and over and over again. This should be something you prepare constantly on. Make a list of every objection you hear so you are cognizant, aware. You know what you might hear in every situation. And then practice handling all of them, all of those objections in a manner that gives you confidence so you can assist in, 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 assist yourself in making the sale. The Closer Survival Guide that I mentioned earlier, Close the Sale app we talked about, are great resources for providing you with ways to handle objections. That one publication has 125 or 26 closes in it, different closes, responses to objections that will give you something to say, something to do. Grand man, we're, we need to think about it. Excellent, sir. I think that's a great idea. Sign right here. Well, what do you mean? I gave you time to think about it. Thought is instantaneous, sir. Let's do this. Okay? You really have no excuse, sir. Okay? Grant, we need to think about it. Hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. I understand. You're right. See, see, do you know what to say when they say I need to think about it? I got to talk to the wife or we never make a rash decision. What do you say? What are you going to do? Are you going to sit and wait? Oh, my God, I don't know what to do. Yeah, you should go talk to your wife. Okay, get back with me. Here's my card. You don't know what you're doing. Then you're going to sit and make excuses. Look, you have no excuse not to close. Right product, right company, right you. If you refuse to invest the time to prepare, I assure you, you will not have money to invest later on. If you refuse to take the time to prepare as a closer, as somebody can handle objections as a professional, I'm hard selling you now. If you refuse to invest that time and energy in learning, you're gonna, you will not have money to invest later in your career. I assure you, will if if you if you don't invest the time now, you're gonna miss deals later. It's really silly when I hear a salesperson say, I don't have time to read a book. I don't have time to listen to this. I don't have time to, really? I'm busy selling. I'm busy. I'm busy. You know, Warren Buffett spends most of his day not investing. Warren Buffett spends most of his day reading about what he's going to invest in in the future. So that when he finally sees the big elephant, he can pull the trigger and not waste his money. Look, you're wasting prospects because you're not ready. You're wasting calls because you don't know what to say. You have to find time to drill, practice, rehearse objections. If you're cold calling on customers, man, you've got to practice your pitch over and over and over again. Quit practicing on customers. If you're meeting customers in person, you must quit practicing on these people that are buying from you. Or in your case, not buying from you. If you can't find an hour a day, it's because you're not in control of your day. Regardless of how good you are, how much money you make, you know you can get better. If your profession were cutting trees, I guarantee you'd take time to sharpen your saw. If you want to close more deals, make more money, and create more sales for yourself and your company, there's no substitute for preparing yourself. If you're overwhelmed by customers' objections ever, even one time, if you're ever overcome by a customer's objections, it is because you're not ready. Keep a diary of every objection you hear and immediately work out how you might handle that or a similar objection in the future. Also, again, refer to the Closer Survival Guide to find an appropriate response. I'm actually currently working on an encyclopedia of closes that will be double the size of this program right here. 
because we continue to get people saying, man, you ought to try this clothes. This clothes works good. You ought to try this clothes right here. Grant, this is exceptional. So we start compiling those in an encyclopedia. Then drill each of those responses until they fit your personality and you know them, Cole. Suppose you hear the objection, I need to check with my wife. Then you'd write it down, look for a solution, and drill it in your own time. If the customer says, I need to talk to my spouse, my response would be, and I know what it is because I've drilled it up here. I don't need to look for it there. Sir, I understand. Look, if your marriage is anything like my marriage, if your wife is anything like my wife, she knows you're here. In fact, she told you to come. She told you what to look for. She told you what you could afford. She told you what was permissible. Okay? Sign right here. Let's get this done. Hey, man, you're right. She did tell me to come here. You think that's, that, that makes you, that's too much and that's too strong and that's too pushy? Maybe you think that. And the only reason you're thinking that right now is because you haven't made this, you haven't tried this, haven't prepared to use this. Because I can't tell you, I, I, I can't tell you how many hundreds of times I've used that exact situation. Sir, if your wife's anything like my wife, she knows you're here. In fact, she sent you here. She gave you the budget. She told you what was desirable. She told you what was permissible. Sign right here. I trust we're on the right product. Let's do this. Can't tell you how many times that's worked for me. And you're like, oh, no, I could never do that. You don't even have any basis to make that claim. None. Zero. Oh, that wouldn't work. That would work with that product, but not this product. That would work in, that would work in America, but not in Canada. Oh, that would work in England, but never over here. You don't even know what you're talking about. Okay? You need tools. You need to not quit. You need to stay in the deal. You need to practice these. I'm assuming that you believe in your product. Remember, I'm assuming you believe in your product. I'm assuming you believe in your company. And whether you live in England, Canada, Africa, uh, uh, Brazil, or Miami, Florida, I'm assuming you believe in your product. You believe in your customer. uh, You believe in your company. You believe in yourself. And you believe the product's good for the customer. Then why wouldn't you stay in the deal right now? Why wouldn't you stay in the deal and get the deal done? Sir, I understand you want to talk to your wife. If you're, your wife's, maybe you're saying this in Latin. Or maybe you're saying it in Mandarin. Or maybe you're saying it with a, with, a, with a different personality and without so much energy. But you're going to be saying this. Sir, I understand you want to talk to your wife. If your wife's anything like my wife. Maybe you're saying it like a redneck or a New Yorker. Or, or maybe you're, you're all polished because you're from some other place. I don't know, dude. Say it the way you want to say it, but say something, please. Sir, your wife's anything like my wife. And she probably sent you here. She probably told you what was allowable and permissible and what would fit with their budget. Okay. Okay. I'm confident that we're, we're, we're on the right product. I don't have any more money to give you. Sign right here. Let's do this. Look, anyone that needs to talk to their wife has already actually made a decision. You know what I'm saying? If you need to talk to your wife or your husband to make a decision here today, you've made a decision that your wife and your husband is the one that makes decisions, which means you wouldn't be over here had you not talked to them already. Put that through your head. If you're experienced getting overwhelmed by the prospects, problems, situations, objections, is too much, it's because you're not preparing yourself for the close well enough. Feeling like an idiot. If you've ever had any version of the dream of being in front of a group of people and then realizing you're naked, then you know what it's like to feel like an idiot. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but there you are. You're standing on stage. Your your pants are down. Okay. You're caught. People are laughing at you. You feel frozen. Here's the good news. Everyone's fears 
that they will be exposed one day, somehow caught and somehow shown to be inadequate or unprepared. Look, everybody has this. The word idiot. Oh, I'm going to be an idiot. I'm going to look like an idiot. I'm going to sound like an idiot. I don't want to try that because they're going to think I'm an idiot. Look, the word idiot comes from Latin. It was used to describe a common person who was not educated and not worldly. A common person who's not educated and not worldly. It's a word used to make a person feel bad. Chapter 22, part three continues up. Coming next now. Let's hit it.